Hello and welcome to Global Health Matters, the podcast where we discuss key issues and topics in global health, inclusive of the perspectives of low and middle income countries. As always, I'm your host, Gary Aslanian. I'm excited to bring you this month's episode because it's produced in partnership with the World Health Organization's Global Influenza Surveillance and Response System, also known by its acronym, GISRAS. GISRAS is a global network of 150 laboratories across 127 countries. Annually, around a billion people get seasonal influenza, and the threat of a pandemic is always lurking on the horizon as viruses keep evolving. To safeguard and protect us from these public health threats, year-round surveillance is being conducted by GISRAS. This year, the network is celebrating 70 years of dedicated global scientific collaboration. So for today's episode, I'm joined by two stellar guests, Professor John McCauley, who is the director of Worldwide Influenza Center at the Francis Creek Institute in the United Kingdom, and by Professor Mahmoud Rahman, who served previously as a director of the Institute of Epidemiology, Disease Control and Research and the National Influenza Center in Bangladesh. The Guardian newspaper referred to scientists like them as the flu hunters working to stop the next pandemic in its tracks. I must agree, a very appropriate title for them indeed. Hi, John. Hi, Mahmoud. How are you today? Very good, thanks. Thank you very much. We are very fine and doing well. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for this program and inviting me here also. Thanks for joining. So let's get started. John, let's uh, rewind time. It's uh, 1918 and flu pandemic is sweeping through the world, eventually resulting in one third of world's population being infected and 50 million people dying. Over the last uh, couple of years, we had uh, SARS-CoV-2, 7 million people dying out of that uh, pandemic. If you could start by sharing with our audience, what's been the difference and the features of the change that we've seen in the last hundred years uh, observing these events? Yeah, thanks very much, Gary. But I think one of the things to bear in mind in 1918 was whilst the doctors could tell, tell you that you got flu and you were dying of flu, there wasn't very much at all that they could do about it. You could basically give palliative care and really didn't even know at that time in 1918 whether or not the vir- the, this uh, influenza pandemic was caused by a virus or a bacterium, we didn't know the nature of the agent. It wasn't until the middle 30s that uh, people started successfully propagating this as now epidemic influenza viruses and rather than pandemic viruses and showing that they were actually a, a virus and they could be then studied. Once you can propagate something, you can analyze it. One of the things that did happen um, once the virus was able to be propagated in, from the 1930s, relatively small number of laboratories uh, could do this work. Um, initially, it required infection of ferrets and transmitting virus from ferret to ferret. But as technologies advanced, we had better ways to propagate the virus. And it was really, we recognized the fact that influenza wasn't consistent around the world. We knew by the end of the by the early 1940s that were influenza A viruses and influenza B viruses in circulation. And after the Second World War, there were efforts to actually try and build up 
not just counting influenza deaths, but actually doing virological surveillance on the viruses that were out there to see if you can build up a global picture of what the virus is. Is the same virus circulating in Europe as in North America, as in Australia, as in the Far East? And so those kinds of advances were being made. And so this was taken up by, uh, first of all, under WHO's support in 1947. Uh, and the first reports came to be published in 19, season 1948-49. Subsequent to that, 1952, this global influenza surveillance network was set up. So this formalizes the, this arrangement of collaboration between laboratories. And that's been really good. So that at that time, when they first did reporting in 1948-49, there were about 20 or 30 laboratories around the world collaborating. And this is now built to, what, hundred close on 150 national influenza centres located around the world, all collaborating together to try and build up an even more detailed picture of what influenza viruses are out there, whether or not there are new viruses emerging, whether or not that's a zoonotic virus that may become a pandemic virus or a new epidemic virus. And we do this in order that we, one, know what's out there know what's likely to happen, whether or not we're going to have a severe influenza season or, or not a severe influenza season, and also so that we can develop vaccines that are the most appropriate for use to minimise the impact of any influenza epidemic. Thanks for that great reflection and overview of how things have developed globally. Mahmoud, I really want to learn more about measures that's been put in place in Bangladesh, uh, where you worked and you're working in this area. And what are the measures put in place for addressing the recurring threat of influenza? Uh, thank you. Actually, uh, Bangladesh started preparing for pandemic influenza since 2005, formally, rather, I should say. And then subsequently, we're building our strengths in that. And we actually became the member of the GISRES as National Influenza Center in 2006. And we developed our laboratory so that we can also have a look into the circulating influenza virus, what is happening in this country. After that, we, we set up actually 12 central sites within the country, across the country, in different parts covering. And we were collecting data on a regular basis to understand what is happening. And for the first time, we could learn from that our influenza season is different from some other countries. Our influenza season actually starts in April and ends in September. Mm -hmm. And July, August is the peak time what was happening. So that is the first learning we got from setting up of the influenza surveillance in this country. And not only that, you know, over the years, we have developed our capacity with the support of GISRES and also with the support CDC also supported us in building our strengths, uh, uh, in building our laboratory capacity and also understanding more on that. Also, when the COVID came in, we could easily, quickly diagnose COVID also in this country very quickly with, in our laboratory. We didn't have to transport it elsewhere to understand that. So these sort of arrangements were made and we could understand very well uh, about the circulation of the influenza virus. This also helped our policymaker to understand a little bit more on this. We are doing this surveillance since 2007, along with the GISTES network, and we are trying to share all this data with the 
visitors uh, with the collaborating center uh, so that they can take care of when the what type of vaccine needs to be developed uh, there. So these are the things uh, in Bangladesh uh, we were doing and we are very much uh, getting uh, help and understand about the influenza circulation in this country through this network. So you've been linked to the network, quite instrumental in, in the work that you're doing. So John, can I continue with that and ask you as the director of the Worldwide Influenza Center at your institute, and you've been the director for the past 13 years there, and it's one of the seven WHO collaborative centers for influenza, uh, which form part of this network, the Global Influenza Surveillance and Response uh, System Network. Maybe you could add a bit more uh, for our listeners to better understand how this network of scientists is actually working, what is its primary function. It would be great if you could share that. Gizaris is now, what, approaching its seventh, or it's in its 70th year of existence as a recognized uh, network within WHO. And what it really does is it, joins like-minded people from around the world, like Professor Rahman and, and others from now what are there 148 national influenza centers in something like 115 UN member states. What we've tried to build up together through the collaborating centers so that with the national influenza centers assessing what's going on locally at their, at their level, um, I mean, some of these are very highly populous countries, such as such as Bangladesh, which which, uh, which we've just been hearing about, and others are smaller countries. You know that uh, we put together a jigsaw to get the impression of what viruses are out there. Are there new viruses? And so this is the thing we're looking. It's a global threat, mm-hmm. and so that what we need to do is build up a global picture. It's not isolated events. These link events are linked because flu spreads really quickly and so that when you get a flu virus sort of establishing in one place basically we've seen it time and again within a year that virus has gone all around the around the world indeed mm-hmm. less than a year quite frequently and so what we're trying to do so that if we have a virus in one place that's you know, fitter it's better it overcomes population immunity better then other centers need to know about it because it's going to hit them next so how does it work? We, we work by the National Influenza Centres doing their local surveillance and doing analysis of the samples that they receive. And if they see something unusual, then they need to share that virus with the collaborating centres who can apply sort of wider range of, of techniques and a wider range, range of sort of anti-sera to be able to analyse the virus somewhat in somewhat mm-hmm. more depth than the National Influenza Centre can be. And they also need to share, share not only the unusual viruses, but representative viruses. And we can then build up a picture, region by region, continent by continent, of what's happening where. Then what we can do is look and see whether or not there is, in fact, a consistent global pattern of the emergence of Mm. of any new virus. But of course, what we're also there to be able to do, because we can build a picture for epidemic flu, we can also look at zoonotic influenza viruses. We can see whether or not the animal viruses are infecting humans. Mm. On a consistent basis, not one individual country, but is it being seen in one country and not in another country? And so we're looking at preparedness as well as intelligence. So intelligence is what's out there. Preparedness is getting ready to find out what's out there. And then thirdly, what it is, is vaccines. So that with all of this information, we can find viruses that will be most suitable for intervention through vaccination. 
John and Mahmoud, as you have explained so far, the scientific progress made to curb the threat of influenza and the country capacity built by this network is very impressive. Next, let's talk more about the influenza surveillance, how it happens at country level, and also how GISRIS network identifies viruses for vaccine development. Mahmoud, could you tell our listeners how you first detected the H1N1 influenza virus in Bangladesh and how the GISRIS network supported you at the time? Actually, if I go to tell you the history, we set up our influenza surveillance in the country, which I mentioned in 2006-07, and then it was ongoing. But at the same time, we also had set up event-based surveillance in our country to detect any outbreaks happening anywhere. And that was also very supplementing each other, actually, to understand if a new virus is emerging. So when you ask about the first case, what we had detected, we detected through our event-based surveillance in 2009, 18th of June, precisely. This was like a group of students who were traveling back home. And from them, we identified one of them first. And then subsequently, we could trace back all the 28 students who came to the country. And of them, we could find out six of them found to be positive of H1N1. And we immediately isolated them, kept confined and also followed them up. So what we were doing at that period, I would bring up here the requirement for international health regulation also. Because we, as per the requirement also, we have... We reported to WHO within 24 hours, the first case mm-hmm. we have detected. And subsequently, first 100 cases were also reported to uh, WHO in the system. That helped to understand also what is happening, how it is being spread. This is one issue about the first few cases, what we have identified. And from our country, what we were doing, actually, we set up teams uh, in our country so that we could send them for the contact tracing and to find out that how many cases mm-hmm. are coming from one case. And uh, contact tracing was working very well. And as you, you know that uh, we cannot stop the pandemic, but we can slow down it as much as possible to get prepared so that we can also combat that. And from there, I would like to bring here that this system we had in place, the 12 central sites, we could clearly see that First, it appeared in the event-based surveillance. Subsequently, it came in the capital, Dhaka city, in one of the sites. And we had actually each celebration in between. And we could clearly see that how the virus spreading from Dhaka to outside Dhaka sites. And it was happening. And we could follow them up very well that where it is going. And subsequently, we had one also community site for influenza in our capital city. And we could detect in the community site also the virus. So the conclusion, what I want to say that initially we were undertaking containment measures when the cases were in the central sites. But when we got it in the community site, we concluded that there is no more containment measures necessary. We want to go for mitigation measures. And subsequently, we went accordingly for the mitigation measures. This was also necessary as a policy decision making. So this GISRS network, the NIC and the surveillance network, what we had helped us making policy decision making also in the country. 
because we didn't have the capacity to go and testing every individual for influenza. So when we were getting the symptoms, it was understood that it was H1N1. So we just advised all our physicians, all our health centers to go for treating with Osaltamavir as early as possible because these were distributed to all of them. So this network really helped us in understanding the seasonality, understand, identify the first human case of uh, H1N1 and also to follow them up and to take appropriate measures uh, accordingly so that we can contain it well and also we can reduce the spread and reduce the death. That was the history I want to bring it up and how it helped us to understand more about the influenza and the first human case identification. Thanks, Mahot, for that background on the state of play in Bangladesh, how um, that particular event has played out and how you linked through the network. John, quickly, uh, something occurred to me. Uh, you mentioned the importance of sharing of data and viral samples between various partners of the network. I'm sure our listeners will be curious to know, and how do the centers determine which seasonal flu viruses they need to develop a vaccine for? Or how does that happen? Well, I think we keep trying to build up a global picture of what's circulating where, and are, are there viruses that are new? Mm -hmm. But what we do is we keep an eye on the characteristics of these viruses the genetic characteristics much more now easily determined than was the case, say, 10 years ago. But we also are focused as well. Hugely important is the antigenic analysis so that what we can see is not just whether or not the virus has genetically moved on. It's really whether or not the new viruses are antigenically different from those that were in circulation before, because it's these new antigenic variants that are likely to be the epidemic virus. And so what we're doing is we go through data from as many countries as we're sharing viruses. We go through this in absolute real detail, looking at the antigenic and the genetic data to indicate where the viruses are. Are they different from those that have been seen before? Are they likely to spread? And if they're antigenically different and we think they're likely to spread, then that says, is the vaccine that we've got at present the best it can be? I think when we've seen a new antigenic variant and it's likely to spread, the answer is always no. Mm. And at that stage, it comes down to have we got a virus that we can we can get to the manufacturers for production? Because if we right. can't get a virus to the manufacturers for production, then we need to say that, well, we're going to have to deal with the second best. We don't want to ever deal with the second best. The whole point about this global surveillance network is that it works together to produce the best for the world. We want to be comprehensive to get the best global picture we can. And that's the way that this all works together with centers like Professor Rahman Center in Bangladesh and those that are still becoming national influenza centers. Like, for example, the laboratory I, I met, I was visiting uh, just last month in Mozambique. They're not yet approved as a national influenza center. They'll be approved as a national influenza center, but they've been contributing to the global influenza surveillance and response system for eight or nine years now. So they're playing their role. The likelihood is that we can pick up viruses and then we can feed back what other countries and adjacent countries have seen, what we've seen elsewhere. For example, I can give the national influenza in Mozambique. They have a lot of tourists coming in. What are they bringing in with them? Are they going to bring new epidemic viruses right. in on the airplane? You know, the speed of spread of flu is as fast as you, you know, the plane can cross oceans. I would like to add one more issue about how this has also helped in the virus sharing and benefit sharing. 
you know, the virus are shared by the countries. And now the Gistas is also supporting to bring together the industries so that they, they share also their benefits. And also the virus is also traced uh, where it is going from one to the other. So that there is a mechanism which has been set up, which is helping actually to keep some money from the industries to build capacities of the Gistas network and also prepare for the next pandemic. So this is also an important, I should say, uh, achievement uh, from the Gistas which has happened. Uh, and there's a history behind uh, how it came up. But I myself was involved in the process with this discussion since 2006. And finally, in 2013, it happened and that it became a, a framework which uh, all the countries are being following. And also the industries are now together uh, sharing their profit part so that uh, the capacities can be built up. John and Mahmoud, that is very informative overview of how decisions are made and the actions that are taken to support vaccine development. Mahmoud, I'm curious, how well is flu vaccine taken up in Bangladesh and what factors influence this? Uh, in Bangladesh, you know, influenza is not considered that much as a very serious disease. Uh, the reason for which I always say that because we can't diagnose it well, because we don't have capacity. I am talking about it previously before COVID uh, with a PCR uh, to diagnose it. And PCR was the only method uh, to uh, diagnose influenza, though there were rapid tests, but which were not very sensitive uh, on based on which the diagnosis could be made. Not only that, the antivirals are not very common and it's quite expensive also. Mm -hmm. So this, that's the reason actually, and there are competing uh, priorities also within the country. So Bangladesh was actually vaccinating the young children and that is very much established in the country and Bangladesh has got good achievement in terms of coverage of immunization uh, and uh, within the region and uh, compared with the other countries in the world also. So we had a network of vaccinating the children, but we didn't have the capacity to vaccinate the adults. And this COVID period also when it came up, we used that network, that whole structure uh, to convert it to the adult vaccination uh, and also brought in other sectors, the private sectors also in it so that the diagnosis could be made and also the vaccination can be given. So that is how we have changed a little bit on, on that part. Not only that, we for COVID also, we have set up very good system of registration mm -hmm. and also follow them up that a lot of countries did and also we also started that from the very beginning. So that is how the change has taken place the COVID. Uh, and also I would like to add here that the influenza platform actually helped us to diagnose COVID in this country first. Not only that, and also expanding this capacity within the whole country. Now we have more than 200 uh, sites where we can do PCR within the country. Initially it was two, but for during the COVID period, this has expanded so much uh, that we have to keep it running so that uh, in future, we can also use this strength for any emerging uh, infectious diseases if it is coming. John, Mahmoud, thank you for giving us such a detailed understanding of the practicalities of the network. I imagine many of our listeners may be wondering what's the secret ingredient that has made this global network of scientists so effective 
And what opportunity is there for surveillance of other diseases as well? John, could you reflect on what has made it so successful and also tell our listeners about the exciting future of the network as it expands into GISRIS Plus? I think that the success of GISRIS, as it started off as, and that's now 70 years on, has actually been the same throughout. It's like-minded people collaborating actively together. Everybody's treated absolutely equally. We're working together to achieve the goal of trying to understand and mitigate the population from influenza, whether or not that be epidemic influenza, zoonotic influenza, or even the influenza pandemic. We're all working together with no side, if you understand what I mean. Um, I write reports to all of the national influenza centers that share viruses with us, telling them absolutely everything that I know about the viruses that they've shared, so that I'm actually saying, you know, you know as much as I do about, about what has been shared. And I'm so take this as sort of the open collaboration that mm-hmm. we've, we've has been established over this 70-year period, and I hope that this will continue uh, in, into the future. Actually, one of the things that's also helped about it is we haven't been plagued by paperwork in this. One of the things, it's this free and open sharing. Uh, we understand it's taken for red what we do, what we don't do. Uh, we're, we're not into sort of exploiting this or that. It's all together for the same goal. We're all mm-hmm. working towards the same goal and trying to do it as efficiently as possible so we, we're not plagued by a lot of bureaucracy about uh, on this sharing. And I think this has been something that's been really successful within this Gizra's thing. It's an old-fashioned network. Whether or not it could be set up in the same kind of way again is, a, is would be a question. But let's 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 not let we don't have to go there because it works, it exists, and it works through just this open collaboration of like-minded individuals and around the world. And so that's why it works. It's just an open, honest collaboration. You ask about Gizris Plus. Yes. This is an idea in which uh, I'm not really clear how it's actually going to be borne out, but it does make common sense that we shouldn't have, if we're going to have people turning up at their practitioners or the uh, into their hospitals with respiratory infections, we shouldn't be putting people, oh, that's flu, that goes down this way, that's SARS-CoV-2, that goes down there, this is RSV. Mm-hmm. We need to have an integrated approach for respiratory infections, the first signs are such that it will be, I'm sure Professor Rahman will be able to sort it out better than I would, but he would be able to see a child coming in is more likely to have a respiratory syncytial virus than influenza if it's it's sick, but an old person coming into the the hospital would be more likely to have influenza than RSV. And and over the last two years, most people probably most likely had SARS-CoV-2. But you do want to differentiate them. You do want to know who's got what because the intervention are liable to be different. So this is the point about surveillance, integrating the surveillance. We have a system that works for flu. If we can have that system and efficiently expand it, for example, to simply to say, right, we're going to do, use the same system for SARS-CoV-2, it's value for money. 
And we can do the same with the pediatrics. In the pediatric population, you might well say, well, actually, we should be looking at RSV. How much burn effect have we got for RSV in the pediatric population? And that's ignoring the effect of RSV in the older, in, in, in the different population, but focus on where the problem is. So the Schizeris Plus is to trying to make better use of the system we already have for flu that's worked so well and try and expand it to include, be inclusive of SARS-CoV-2, RSV, and of course, any virus that is liable to come up. One of the features about all of this sharing is the fantastic sharing that's happened of gene sequence data during the Mm -hmm. SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. So I think there are something like 13 million virus samples have been sequenced and shared openly. This open sharing has actually largely been built upon the system that was developed for pandemic and and seasonal influenza viruses, and this is GISAID. Uh, This has been uh, fantastic, and this is another system which can be used for, they have a compartment for RSV and GISAID, they've got a compartment for SARS-CoV-2, and they, of course, they got their original uh, influenza compartment in there. So again, this is another way to expand the surveillance and this expand the sh- expand the sharing of gene sequence data, and so that's the extension of the very successful global influenza surveillance and response system to just build upon it to encompass a broader approach. Gary, can I add with John that what we are doing in the Gestures Plus in our country, mm-hmm. uh, we have nineteen sentinel sites now running in the country. And we are testing both uh, influenza and COVID along with that. We are using multiplex PCR and doing it on a regular basis. This is one of the component of the Gistress Plus which has come up. And subsequently, also as uh, uh, John has mentioned, there are other viruses which will also be added there. But obviously, even in our country, we look for other viruses also using this platform. And this platform helped in developing, as you have heard, the G8, which helped tremendously, which was for influenza. But this pandemic period, it helped tremendously to understand what variant is circulating. Even now, uh, this is being monitored and in which part of the country, uh, world, or which type, which variant uh, is circulating. And that, that is also taking precaution for that is also very important. And countries are openly sharing uh, their the findings uh, to that platform. So so that those are also the component or uh, benefits which came out of this Gistress uh, uh, network. Thanks for that. We're coming to the end of our discussion. In ending today, uh, maybe I could just ask you to tell me what continues to make you passionate and excited about your work. Maybe we'll start with John. Thanks, Gary. What a way to finish. I think what it is, is there's this saying um, in the flu community, when you've seen one influenza season, you've seen one influenza season. And what you then do is the next influenza season is different, and they're always different. Something somewhere causes a problem and something goes wrong, and you've got to solve those problems urgently. Okay, Mahmoud? Actually, this is very interesting, like uh, as John has mentioned, uh, and I can also tell you that uh, during the pandemic, a uh, COVID pandemic, influenza was almost nil. In a lot of countries, you we are not detecting influenza virus. And still now, we see variation 
of the season also, sometimes pushing back, sometimes uh, early onset. So these sort of things which actually we encourages us to understand and get involved. And this is the ownership actually, which is also very important. And you have heard that John was mentioning several times that uh, that uh, like-minded people and, and people who are working in influenza, they are even when they are responsible for because I was in the government for 33 years, even after my retirement, I'm still supporting the uh, influenza network uh, through, through different hat, not from the government side, but uh, advising them what to do at what stage. Ahmad and John, thanks for joining me today and for this insightful discussion. All of the best in your future work. Thanks very much, Gary, and thanks for the questions. Thank you, Gary, for and also with John. We, we are working together for long years. I don't remember yep. how many years. It's a long time. Uh, but uh, we, we still still now we are together and also we discuss this all the time uh, and also work for that. So thank you very much also bringing this important uh, topic uh, for discussion with us. Thank you very much. Achieving public health progress is not the effort of lone heroes. Rather, as illustrated by John, Mahmoud, and all their collaborating colleagues from across the world, it is combined actions and shared leadership which results in tremendous progress for humanity. Launched 70 years ago, GISTRIS is a remarkable example of a successful peer-led network based on deep trust and a unifying common vision. Before we end this episode, let's listen to a short reflection from Dr. Wenqing Zhang at the WHO's Global Influenza Program. Hi, I'm Wenqing Zhang, the head of the Global Influenza Program in WHO. I want to thank TDR for partnering with us to produce this episode in commemoration of the 70th anniversary of the WHO's Global Influenza Surveillance and Response System, GISIS. It was really encouraging to hear from John and Mamoun, both sharing their experience of the network. The success of the network has been based on several generations of committed collaborators like them. I want to thank Dr. Zhang and our colleagues at WHO who partnered with us to produce this episode. For more information about GISRAS and the 17th anniversary, visit our podcast webpage. Don't forget to get in touch with us via social media, email, or by sharing a voice message with your reflections about today's episode. See you next month for yet another thought-provoking discussion on a complex global health topic. Global Health Matters is produced by TDR, an infectious diseases research program based at the World Health Organization. Gary Aslanian, Lindy Mannikerk and Maki Kitamura are the content producers and Obadiah George is the technical producer. This podcast was also made possible with the support of Chris Coase, Elisabetta Desi, Isa Suder-Dayao, Noreen O'Gallagher and Chembe Collaborative. The goal of Global Health Matters is to produce a forum for sharing perspectives on key issues affecting global health research. Send us your comments and suggestions by email or voice message to tdrpod at who.int and be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.